Hope is here. I want to welcome you one more time. Glad everyone is here today. I want to share some scripture with you today concerning hope that we have, this thrilling hope that is Jesus Christ. And, and don't worry if, if you got a baby that's crying, that's just fine. In case you didn't notice, we closed down our nurseries so that all of our people could be in here together today. That's a wonderful thing. Crying babies aren't going to affect anything for me. Uh, and we do that on purpose. It's because here in just a few moments, we're going to take communion together. And we want to do that as families. Um, and so here in, in just a few moments, we'll, we'll do communion uh, together. But if a baby starts talking or anything, just let them talk. They're just going to be praising the Lord in their own little language there. So if you would, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is the most familiar portion of Scripture probably whenever it comes to Christmas. And I want to read just a few verses there with you. And as you're turning there, did you realize we, believers, we are the people of hope. We are the people of hope. We have built our lives on the foundation of God's word and God's promises. And this book right here is the story of hope. It is our story of hope, hope that one day things will be better than they are right now today. Hope that one day we will get to fellowship with our Father in heaven without the restrictions and the pains of this life that we currently live. We are a people of hope. And the Bible gives us this story of hope. And this one particular portion of Scripture that we want to read is, is hope in its, I don't want to say most beautiful, because I love all the scripture, <laughs> but this portion of scripture just brings so much hope to your soul. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told 
everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Someone say hope. Hope. At this point in time, the shepherds are sitting in their fields, standing in their fields, whatever they're doing in their fields, watching their sheep. And for four hundred years, God's voice was not heard in all the earth. Four hundred years of darkness, four hundred years of despair, four hundred years of of confusion, four hundred years of becoming weary, and finally, the light of hope to this world. Jesus, the hope of the nations. But have you ever thought about this story? Like, why would God choose the shepherds? The first gospel announcement was given to a group of shepherds that were watching the sheep one night. Have you ever thought about that? Like, why, God, why would you choose, of all the people on earth, why would you choose to give your first gospel announcement to the shepherds. The first one. I've thought about this a lot. In fact, I've heard sermons preached on this, and, and there's some speculation by some that, well, it's because the shepherds were the outcast of society. They were the, the lowliest of society. And so this is a, a declaration from God saying that he has come not just for the lofty, but he's also come for the lowly. And I believe there's some significance to that, absolutely. But I believe there's other reasons why God would have chosen these shepherds to give his first gospel announcement too. I want to talk about that for just a moment today. I believe that God sent these angels to these shepherds because these shepherds were part of a bigger story. I believe they were part of a bigger story. See, there's one thing that I think every believer should understand and know about this book right here. This is a, a book. It's, it's made out of 66 different writings by over 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years on three different continents, and it was all compiled into this one book right here. But this book, although it does contain many individual stories, this book from cover to cover tells us one unified story. And it's the story that we built our lives upon as Christians, as believers. This is a story full of hope. It began in, obviously, Genesis 1 tells us that God created the world, and he created it to be this perfect paradise, so beautiful, so lovely, this wonderful place to be. And then on the second page of the Bible, we messed it all up. (laughs) Humans decided that they would be better at being 
God than the creator, and we took control of our own lives, and we see how that's gone. We're still dealing with the effects of it today. But from page two to the very end of the book, the last page, is the story of our hope that one day we too will be redeemed and be saved and be brought back into a place of fellowship and communion with God. The story of hope. Church, this is a thrilling hope. It is a thrilling hope. But have you ever noticed that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, God uses certain imagery to speak about certain things. And whenever it comes to our salvation, our redemption and our reconciliation with God, when it comes to our salvation, God chose to illustrate our salvation with the imagery of a shepherd and sheep. A shepherd and sheep of all things. He could have picked anything. So why did he choose to communicate his idea of salvation to us by using shepherds and sheep? I don't know if you noticed, but you don't have to look very far in the Bible before you see the first mention of a shepherd. In fact, it's in only the fourth chapter of Genesis, only the second human being ever born. His name was Abel. Genesis tells us this in uh, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, later she, that's Eve, gave birth to Cain's brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. A shepherd. We hear this story about Cain and Abel. I don't know how familiar you, you are with the word of God, but it took only the second generation of human beings before we had our first murder. And uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. And he killed him because he was jealous. Because... Cain brought uh, worship to God from the first fruits. He was a, Cain was a farmer. He brought, uh, I shouldn't say first fruits, he brought some, uh, some of his crops to offer to the Lord as, as, a, as a sacrifice of worship. And Abel was a shepherd, and he brought to God the very best of his flock, the firstborn of his flock, and he offered it to God as a sacrifice of worship. And the Bible tells us that God was pleased with Abel, but he was not pleased with Cain. I could go into, I could get way deep into this. This is so good. Like this is already telling us a story of what's going to happen. But can you imagine for just a moment that the Bible doesn't tell us that Cain is a farmer and that Abel is a shepherd. Just imagine that the Bible says that Cain and Abel each brought a sacrifice to God. God was pleased with Abel's and not pleased with Cain's, so Cain killed Abel. So knowing that Abel was a shepherd, it doesn't really change his story. It doesn't change Abel's story that much. You could leave that detail out, and we could still understand the, the story that's being brought forth here. But the Bible chooses to tell us that Abel is a shepherd, and his offering was a lamb. Now, fast forward a few generations. How many of y'all realize that many of our heroes of the faith were shepherds? Do you realize Abraham was a shepherd? Isaac was a shepherd? Jacob was a shepherd? Jacob's wife, Rachel, was a shepherd. 
I don't, if I would have asked you, what did Rachel do before she married Jacob? You might not have been able to remember that little fact. She was a shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Are we seeing the, the connection here? Why would God choose to tell us that all of these men and women were shepherds? It doesn't really change their story whether Cain is a farmer or a shepherd. Or it doesn't change our story if Isaac is a blacksmith or a shepherd. It doesn't change the sto- their stories. But what God is doing is he is a bigger story. And as we look at these individual stories through the Bible, we start to see some, some common things that are connected. And one of these connecting themes throughout the whole of the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, is this imagery of shepherd and sheep. And what God is doing through this is he is explaining and defining his process for our salvation. This is about to get good. Are y'all ready? Come on. <laughs> In fact, we know that this is true uh, because one more person that we know of was a, was a shepherd in the Bible, and that's the prophet Amos. Some of you are like, I didn't even know Amos was in the Bible. <laughs> he was, he was. Uh, he's what we call one of our minor prophets, not because his, his uh, prophetic message was any less important, but because it was just smaller in textual size. Uh, but Amos is in the Bible. He, he wrote a uh, book in the Bible there. And uh, this is what he says in Amos chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Amos replied, I am not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. I am just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. Now, you got to know a little bit about the Hebrew language to, to kind of see why this is significant for what we're talking about here today. Because typically, if you're reading the Old Testament and you come across the word shepherd, the writer has used the Hebrew word ra'ah, ra'ah. It means someone who tends sheep. Makes sense, right? But Amos right here, he says, I'm not a professional prophet. I was never trained to be a professional prophet. I am just a shepherd. He uses the Hebrew word boker, boker, which means sheep breeder or sheep raiser. And the reason why Amos uses this Hebrew word instead of the typical one is because he's trying to lay a foundation for us. He's trying to tell the people of Israel, listen, God has sent me with a message, but I'm not a typical shepherd of Israel. I'm not what you would consider a leader of God's people. He gave me a message. Listen, I am simply just a literal shepherd. But all throughout Scripture, God uses this word ra'ah to tell us about the leaders of his people, shepherds of his people. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the word pastor comes from the Latin word meaning shepherd. Shepherd. Because all throughout the word of God, God has used this analogy to describe the leader of his people. Whoever this leader was, they would call him the Shepherd. So whenever you say, hi, Pastor Billy, you're saying, hello, Shepherd Billy. That's what we're saying, in essence. God uses this idea of shepherding because he's telling us a bigger story. 
and these Christmas shepherds in Luke chapter 2, I believe that God sent his angels to proclaim this first gospel message not because they were the only ones awake, not just because he's trying to tell us that he came for the lofty and the lowly, but I believe he's furthering his story of our salvation through these shepherds. Shepherds. This would explain why the shepherds were so excited when the angel gave them this news. Can you imagine? You're in the field. You're that's all you've ever done that's all your father's ever done that's what your great-grandfather did and, and you're in the field watching your sheep it's late at night and and the angels just bust open heaven and and start giving this incredible incredible good news you would be excited i would be excited but i think it meant a little bit more to them because i think that they these jews at this time i think they would have connected dots better than we americans do today because they knew the word of god they knew his promises. They knew the prophetic words that come. We're going to read one here in just a moment about shepherds that are from the Old Testament. But they knew. And this explains why after they went and told everyone the good news, what, what they had seen and heard, everyone was astonished. They were amazed. Wow! I can imagine that they were amazed because of who's telling them this good news. Like, of course, God would give his first gospel message to shepherds. Why? Because all throughout scripture, he's used shepherds and sheep to define his role in our salvation. So now that the shepherds are going around telling everybody the good news, everyone's like, this makes sense. This is why he didn't go tell Herod or, or Caesar or the innkeeper or the blacksmith. And it wasn't that God was just up in heaven one night thinking, oh man, my, my son, he's, he's been born. I got to tell somebody. I gotta, oh man, it's just so late at night. Everyone's asleep. Oh man, wait, what is, what is that? It's a bright light in that field. Of, oh, someone's awake. It's the shepherds. I guess I'll just go tell them. <laughs> no, God, God doesn't do anything just haphazard. He doesn't do anything just off the fly. Everything he does is intricate and detailed and beautiful. He's telling his story through these shepherds. Of course he would tell shepherds the first gospel announcement. Because this is the story that he's been using all this time. This can also explain why it tells us that Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. What did she keep in her heart? What had happened in front of her? God told who? The shepherds. The shepherds came and said, hey, this is what God has done. He sent angels, and we heard this gospel message, and we can't believe it. The, the, the baby really is here. What? This is incredible. And Mary's just like, wow. Why? Because it's profound to her. Because it makes sense to her. Of course, God would give his first gospel message to the shepherds. And of course, the shepherds would be the first humans to go and share that gospel message. Why? Because it's the message of salvation. Come on, church. Mm. He told the shepherds because through their story, he's pushing this incredible story of thrilling hope. But I believe there's another reason why God chose to tell the shepherds the first gospel announcement. I believe it's because a lamb had been born. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God. What does John say in, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 29? One day Jesus, he's, he's walking and he's, he's approaching John the Baptist. And as he's approaching, this is what it says. Uh, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And John said this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, if a lamb is being born... Who should know about it? Probably a shepherd. I'm just guessing. I don't raise sheep, but it's my best guess. A shepherd probably needs to know if a lamb had been born. Now, I'm not saying that it tells us this in the Bible, but Bible scholars believe that Jesus was born around the time of the lambing season, the time of year where sheep typically give birth to their lambs. And the reason why Bible scholars believe this is because in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that there were shepherds, multiple shepherds in the fields watching their flock of sheep that night. Now, typically in this Jewish culture that Jesus was raised in, and even all, we see all the way back to David, multiple shepherds aren't necessary to watch the sheep. In fact, we see with David's family, Jesse, he had a bunch of sheep. And David was the shepherd of his father's sheep, not his other brothers. His other brothers were older. The Bible tells us David was the youngest brother. His other brothers were older. They were probably a little bit taller, a little bit stronger, uh, a little bit more capable of handling some of the family's uh, more physically demanding jobs. And so typically in Jewish culture at this time, the youngest capable child would be the shepherd of the sheep. Why well, we got David. The story tells us that Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. That's what God told him to do. So Samuel goes to Jesse's home and, and says, hey, God has sent me here to anoint one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. And Jesse gets excited. He gets all of his sons and lines them up in a row, starting from the oldest to the youngest. And Samuel says, uh, he's not the one God has chosen. He's not the one God has chosen. He's not. And he gets all the way to the end of the line. And, and Samuel's... I, from the way I read it, Samuel seems a little bit frustrated, like, come on, man, like, what's wrong? God told me to come anoint one of your sons to be the next king. Where is he? And Jesse's like, oh, man. It doesn't say this Bible, but this is the way I vision it. <laughs> oh, man, I completely about David. He, he's out in the fields watching my sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. He comes in. God says, that's the man. Samuel anoints him to be the next king of Israel. We see that there's not multiple shepherds needed. David's the only one out in the field, according to Scripture. And if the youngest, if, if a predator came up to the sheep and the youngest wasn't physically capable of, of fighting off a predator, which we see that David was, but if he wasn't, he could at the very least call for someone else to come and to help him fend off predators, that's, that's, that was their custom back in this time. Whenever I was younger, my mom is here this morning. I don't know if she would remember this or not. She probably choose, would choose not to if she could. But whenever I was younger, um, we were at church one morning, and service had ended. This is before we were here at Calvary. And, and service had ended, and, and uh, my children's, I was young, my children's church teacher 
has handed off all the other kids to their parents, and I'm the only one there left. And she asked me, where's your mom? It's like, I don't know. I, I rode here with her today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where she is. Do you remember this mom? She, she's like, no, no. <laughs> and this was back before cell phones. And so she's like, well, we'll, we'll just call your house. And because this was not like right after service, this was like after service. It's like, well, we'll just call your home. So she got the phone book, flipped it over to Wisdom, found our home phone number, dialed it up, no one answers. So she's like, well, I guess we'll just wait here for a little while longer until she comes. Y'all, I, I, I was young. I didn't really have a good grasp on the concept of time. But it seemed like a thousand million billion years I'm like, where, is, where are my parents? How could they forget me? Like, how, how could you do that? I am your youngest son. I'm supposed to be the, the pride of the family. And I'm like, my goodness. A little while later, my mom comes flying up into the parking lot. She comes out and says, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, the story goes like this. Uh, after church, apparently I was in the restroom or somewhere where my other siblings were not. And uh, one of my parents, I'm not sure which one was responsible that day, but they had driven to church separately that morning. So one of them was responsible for taking all the kids. Um, and so one of the parents came and they picked up whichever kids were available, uh, not me, apparently, and, uh, and had gone to my grandparents' home for lunch. We were going to have a family lunch with my grandparents. I had gone to my grandparents' home. Well, my other parent went to Walmart to pick up something, I guess, for lunch, presumably. And so each one of my parents thought the other one had me with them. But I was still at church. And in my little mind, I don't know how old I was, maybe seven or eight, in my little mind, I'm thinking, they left me. Like, they forgot about me. They don't even know I'm here. They don't even know I exist anymore. I, I can imagine this is probably how David felt whenever someone runs out to the field. David, David, the prophet's here. He's going to anoint one of you or your brothers to be the next king of Israel. David's like, oh, cool. And he's like, but he's already said no to the rest, so you're probably it. I can imagine David being like, he forgot me? He left me here? I don't know. I don't know. It's all right, Mom. I forgive y'all. But anyways, the reason why they believe that the, Jesus was born during the time of the lambing season was because typically only one person would be out in the fields, but there was multiple shepherds on this night. And the reason why is because sheep are notorious for being bad mothers. <laughs> if sheep, they're, they're so skittish that if they feel... Uh, any type of threat, if they feel any uncomfortableness, uneasiness, the mother will keep herself from going into labor and giving birth to the lamb. And this often results in a lot of lambs being stillborn. The mother will just refuse to go into labor until she feels comfortable. And so the shepherds during lambing season, whenever they see that the, the sheep are getting close to giving birth, Multiple shepherds will stay. That way, if one uh, sheep starts to go into labor, one shepherd can be with it, can comfort it, can help it through the process of giving birth to the lamb, while other shepherds keep a watch on the other sheep, making sure that if 
wander off. They can bring them back into the flock. And, and so this is why they believe that Jesus was born during lambing season. The Bible doesn't say that, but I, I think that it's a, a good thought because, of course, the lamb would be born. And the angels would share this news with the shepherds who are out in the field. They, I can imagine it would help them connect the dots that it's not just anybody that's just been born tonight, but God must have chosen to tell us shepherds about his birth because this is a special somebody. This isn't just another person. This is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. I think it was also significant because not only was Jesus the Lamb of God, but he's also described as being our shepherd, our good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11, this is what Jesus said about himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Revelation chapter 17, verse 7 says, For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. I believe that God choosing to tell these shepherds on this Christmas night that Jesus had been born, I believe that it was because he was furthering his story of our redemption, our salvation. But I believe he's also prophetically and poetically telling the world that this is the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. This is the good Shepherd, And that's what makes his incarnation and his death so significant to us. Because not only was he the lamb, but he was also the shepherd. He was both man and God. He was God in the flesh. God incarnate. The shepherd and the lamb. Y'all, don't tell me this isn't a beautiful story. This is the most beautiful story. I love it. And all throughout Scripture, God chooses to use this idea of shepherd and sheep because he's prophetically telling what's to come, the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd. So what does this mean to us, church? Why is this, why is it important? Why was it that God chose to use this idea of shepherd and sheep to describe our salvation? I believe it's because with this illustration, we get a better understanding of what his role is in our salvation and what our role is in our salvation. 600 years before Jesus was born, God sent a messenger to his people, the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel shares what God told him to share with the people of Israel. And through it, he's hinting at Christ's redemptive work through his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection and his ascension. And of course, God uses the shepherd sheep illustration to further this narrative of our redemption. Let's read it in Ezekiel chapter 34. We'll put it up on the screen. We're going to actually, you can turn there if you would like to, but we're going to put it up on the screen because I'm, I'm going to kind of go through it pretty quickly. Ezekiel chapter 34, starting in verse 1. This is God's words. He says this. Uh, uh, Ezekiel says, Then the message came to me from the Lord. This is what God says right here. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. 
What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk and you wear the wool. You butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Jump down to verse 15. This is what God says. I myself will tend my sheep. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace says the Sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who have strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured. I will strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, I will feed them justice. And then look, he talks to the flock. So he's been talking to the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders of their time. Now he's talking to the flock, the people. As for you, my flock, verse 17, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep from the goats. Isn't it enough for you to keep the best of the pastures for yourselves? Must you also trample down the rest? Isn't it enough for you to drink clear water for yourselves? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Why must my flock eat what you have trampled down and drink water you have fouled? Jump down to verse 23. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant. They'll say with me, my servant. be on Starla's microphone. All right. It says, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. And jumping down to verse 31, it says, you are my flock, the sheep of my pasture, You are my people, and I am your God. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. That's beautiful. That's poetic. God is speaking through his servant, his prophet Ezekiel. And as he's speaking to him, he's he's, uh, confronting the leaders of Israel and the people of Israel, God's people, God's chosen people. And he's giving them this analogy that the, that the leaders, you guys have done a terrible job. You've taken advantage of my people. You've stolen from them. You've kept things from them. You've abused them. And I am not going to stand for that. 
Ooh, church, that's so good. That's so good. It says, I will tend my sheep. I will be the shepherd. And then just a few verses later, he says, I will send my servant David, and he will be the shepherd. So you might be thinking, okay, God, which is it? Are you the shepherd or is David the shepherd? Well, you got to know a little bit about the Bible here. Uh, David, at this point in time, had been dead for 400 years. I have a pretty good hunch then that God is not talking about David being the shepherd. Instead, he's prophesying that someone from David's line would come and be the shepherd. Someone from David's lineage would be this shepherd. But God also says, I will tend my sheep. This is, this is beautifully poetic of the incarnation, fully God and fully man. He's saying someone will be born that will be the shepherd. He will be born in human flesh, but he's not going to be just any other human. He is the son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. He will be the shepherd. Let me ask you a question. Pop quiz. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. He's our shepherd. He is our good shepherd. This portion of scripture in Ezekiel chapter 34 and all the way through Ezekiel chapter 37 is, is uh, nicknamed by scholars to be the gospel according to Ezekiel. That's the nickname that they give this portion of scripture from Ezekiel 34 to 37 because it's one of the clearest descriptions of God's redemptive work in humans that's found in the Old Testament. And the reason why it's so clear to us is because God is using this illustration of shepherd and sheep. And in this, God is defining his role for our salvation. He's defining our role in our salvation. And he's describing to us how he feels about us being saved. Whoo! <laughs> I love this. This is God's role in our salvation. Are you ready? You may be here today and say, hey, listen, I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior 120 years ago. Maybe it was a week ago. I don't know. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you say, listen, I, I don't know that I am saved. Can I share with you how God describes our salvation? Here's what he says he will do. This is his role in our salvation. He says, I will go out and look. I will find. He gives us this idea of a shepherd who goes out to look for his sheep. I will go and search for them. This is prophetic of the incarnation. Why? Because God stepped down out of heaven's throne into our world, took on our flesh. He said, I will go and search for them. I'll go and look for them. And I will find them. And whenever I find them, I'll pick them up. I'll take them out. I will bandage their wounds. I will strengthen them in their weakness. He tells us he will us on his shoulders and what does he do 
carries us where? Back home. Back home. Is he not a poetic God? Is this not a beautiful description of his role in our salvation? Can I ask you a question, though? This, this, may, this may step on some people's toes. I don't know. But what is our role here? The <laughs> Bible says we, like sheep, have what? Gone astray. We have wandered off. Jesus says, I will go and search for them. I will find them. Whenever I find them, I'm going to bandage them up. We don't even bandage ourselves, y'all. I will strengthen them in their weakness. You don't even have to be strong to be saved. I will carry them back home again. So what is my job? <laughs> what is my role in this salvation that, that God has been describing all through the Old Testament and we see coming into the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. You want to know what our job is, our role in our salvation is? It's to allow God to pick us up and take us back home. Stop running, stop wandering away, stop hiding. When he picks you up, don't be kicking and bleeding, and not bleeding, but bleating. Man, don't try to wiggle your way out of it. Our job is to allow the shepherd to pick us up and carry us back home. What does is, what is Ezekiel say in Ezekiel chapter 34? God does address the sheep. What does he tell the sheep? He says, isn't it enough that you get to enjoy the good pasture lands? Why must you trample it down for the rest? Isn't it enough that you drink of the clear water? Why must you stir it up and get it all muddy for everyone else? Listen, this is what God is saying through Ezekiel. Our role in salvation is to accept his free gift of grace and not make it difficult for others to do it. Church, I think that, I think that, hmm. I think that might be a little bit hard for us sometimes because we want to be responsible for something. It sounds noble of us to say, well, you got to do this to be saved. You got to do that to be saved. You got to... The way that Jesus describes our salvation, he is the shepherd. He is the one that came, comes looking for you. Ooh. He is the one that takes care of your wounds, strengthens you in your weakness. He's the one that picks you up and carries you back home. All we have to do is let him. In Acts chapter 16, Peter's over at Cornelius' house and preaches to him. Cornelius says, 
What do we got to do to be saved? Peter says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Just before that, in Acts chapter 15, the, the Gentiles are, are coming to Christ by the droves. They're being saved all over the Roman Empire at this point. And the Jews, they get together and they're like, hey, listen, um, we've been walking with God for a long time. God's had all of these rules and regulations for us to follow. And uh, we only think it's right that the Gentiles should have to do some of this too. Their thing was they were saying that they at least have to be circumcised because this is the symbol of our commitment to God and God's commitment to us. And so this huge debate sprang up. What, what do we do? What are the Gentiles responsible for? What, what in, in terms of salvation, what are they responsible to do? Look at this. This is, uh, this is what Peter said in, in uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 10. He says this, why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus, the shepherd. How are we saved? The shepherd brings us home. <laughs> this is what James, Jesus' half-brother, he's also the leader of the church at this time. This is what he says in, in uh, Acts 15, verse 19. He says this, My judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's what James said about this whole idea of what should they do to be... This, this is what he says. Listen, we shouldn't make it difficult for the believers to turn to God. And so the leadership of the church got together and they unanimously voted on this right here, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. They wrote a letter to, the, to three different cities, three different churches in three different cities, Gentile cities. And this is what they said. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. Listen, what they're doing is they're saying this. It's not a difficult road to salvation. It should not be difficult for us to come to God. He's the shepherd. He will pick us up, and he will carry us home. Mm. I love what it says, though. It says that one of God's responsibilities in our salvation, one of his roles in our salvation, is that he will carry us to green pastures, a place so that we can rest. Now, here's the thing I've found with a lot of Christians, myself included, Sometimes, that, that sounds amazing, but sometimes it's hard for me to stop and rest because this old mind starts to kick in again. Well, I, I've, I've messed up. I've done the wrong thing. I've, I've wandered a little bit too far over here, so I, I've, I've got to get right with God. I've got to get right. I've got to do this. I've got to... What, what happens? We, we start to, like sheep, we start to see 
greener pastures out there. And we, like sheep, start to wander away again. Listen, the Bible tells us that whenever the shepherd brings us home, he brings us to a place of rest. What does that mean? That means we need to learn how to be content in him. We need to learn how to trust him that he will lead us to the green pastures. You might see something that you think is a green pasture over there, but don't go wandering off yet. Stay with the shepherd. Let him lead you to the green pastures. Well, it... I'm looking around here, and this grass doesn't look so good. Surely that over there would be better. Stop, stop, stop doing that. Stop wandering away. Just trust in God. The Bible tells us that our role in salvation is just faith. Have faith in God. Believe in God, and you will be saved. And this is something that we have to rest in. Hmm. I want to show y'all a, a video real quick uh, in just one second. This is a, a, just a video. It's just going to read Psalm 23 to us, one of the most popular portions of Scripture in all of the Bible. And now that we've got a better idea of shepherd and sheep, as we watch this, I want you to really think about what this means for us as believers, that God would carry us or lead us to green pastures and beside still waters. And when David writes Psalm 23, he's, he's not a shepherd. He's an older, mature king. And I can just imagine that as he's pinning these words, he's reminiscing on his time as a shepherd, being out in the field, probably sitting under a, a shade tree, playing his instrument to the sheep, and, and he's watching. And, and I can just imagine him in this moment thinking, what, what does he say, the first lines? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And now as a mature king, he's looking back on his time as being a, a shepherd and a savior to his father's sheep. And now he's thinking, wow, all this time God has been my shepherd too. Y'all watch this video. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all of the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Come on. Can you see that, David, there? He's saying this, all this time you've been my shepherd. All this time, the, the moments that I've wandered away in my life and the, the choices that I've made that have, have gone against just being in your presence and resting and still, your unfailing love pursued me. Whenever I was running, whenever I was acting a fool, your unfailing love pursued me. 
Jesus is our shepherd. And the most unique thing I think about him is that he was both the shepherd and the sheep. This is why his death on the cross, his incarnation, his, his birth, but also his death on the cross is so significant because he died like you and me. He can relate to what we feel and he can relate to what we're going through and, and, and he understands our weaknesses because he was God wrapped in human flesh too. But he didn't just die as a human. God, listen to me church, God died on the cross that day too. Because if he was not God, then his payment would not satisfy the penalty of sin. Just a man, it would take more than just a man to die to bring us home. But the shepherd had to give up his life for the sheep. Jesus says he was on his way to the Mount of Olives where he would be betrayed and handed over for crucifixion. He spoke these words in Matthew chapter 26. Starting in verse 30, it says, and they sang a hymn and they went to the Mount of Olives and on the way Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus would die on that cross. The blood from the Lamb of God would be spilled. And because of what he did, because of his blood, we are saved. Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you, to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. God chose him as our ransom long before the world began. We see all through scripture this narrative of sheep and shepherd, and God is describing what would happen on the cross that day. The Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, would spill his blood for our rescue. The shepherd going out to find the sheep, carrying us on his shoulders back home. Throughout human history, God slowly and methodically revealed his plan to us through this lens of sheep and shepherd. But I want you to see the attitude that he had as he does it. Because I, I think sometimes for me, I'm, I'm like, God, I'm no one worth saving. I could just tell you how many times I mess up every single day, God. And I just have this weird, stupid thinking. Why, why would he come for someone like me? Why would God die for someone like me? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, this is what... 
Paul says to the church. He says, God designed, decided in advance, knowing what you would do, knowing what you would say, knowing the way that you would think, knowing the way that your life is before you, he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. How? By bringing us to himself. Through Jesus Christ. Look at this next part. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So, what's our response to that? He says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He's showered his kindness on us along with our wisdom and understanding. It's what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure, church. It gave him great pleasure. We're about to take communion. If, if you've come in this room today and, and you don't have, we've, we've got communion. It's in a little plastic cup like this. It's got a little cracker on top. If, if you don't have that, can you stick your hand up? We've got a couple of ushers that would love to come and bring it to you. I just want to make sure that everyone has one. If you need one, just raise your hand up real high. and They'll bring it to you and drop it off. Thank you, ushers, for helping out. Jesus told his disciples, he, on that day before the lamb would be crucified, he's sitting and he's having a meal with his disciples. And he takes some bread and he breaks it, distributes it, and he takes a cup and he passes it around, distributes it. And he tells them to do this in remembrance of me. Of my body that was broken on the cross, of my blood that was spilled out. Do this in remembrance of me. So just hold on to it for just a second. We'll take it together here in just one moment. We want to show you just one more last video. He said, until I return, 
and do this in remembrance of me. He hadn't returned yet, but we know he's going to. We know he's going to church.